everyone, and thank you for joining me again today for the Finding Hope After Loss podcast. Recently, Project Finding Your Rainbow has hit 300 stories published. If you aren't familiar, this is a traveling rainbow skirt that travels from one lost family to the next. They take pictures with the skirt and the stories and pictures are shared to help raise awareness for infertility, pregnancy loss, and infant loss. I started this originally in November of 2020, and honestly, I was really afraid that no one would want to participate. But I'm so proud, and I'm just in awe of how far it's come and how many amazing families I have been connected with through this. And if you would ever like to participate and share your story, you can go to journeyforjasmine.com and click on the Project Finding Your Rainbow link to read more about it. You do not have to currently be pregnant with a rainbow baby, and you don't have to have a rainbow baby at all. It's for anyone who's been through loss of any kind. So today I am talking with Sephora. She discusses the neonatal loss of her son, Leo. He was diagnosed with anencephaly, and they chose to deliver him at 32 weeks in order to be able to spend some time with him after birth. She shares about the experience she went through from diagnosis until the time after his birth and his death. Well, hello everyone. Today I am here with Sephora. Sephora, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm 23 years old. I got married. Um, my one-year anniversary is next week, so it's been almost a year. Oh, congrats. And, yeah, thank you. It's It's been a crazy year for sure. Um, and I live in in southern Utah, so really close to Zion National Park and the Grand Canyon. So that's pretty cool. Do you get outside very often, like go explore all the areas or? After losing my son, definitely. It's been a really therapeutic thing for me to do, to go outside and explore and connect with nature. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your lost journey? Yeah, for sure. So like I said, I've been married almost a year. And on my honeymoon, um, I found I got pregnant and uh, wasn't expecting that I had a lot of hormone problems. And I had been told that it'd be really difficult for me to get pregnant. Um, but that didn't happen. So that was a big surprise for me. And um, I, I, everything about the pregnancy went smoothly in the beginning, um, all your normal morning sickness, everything like that. Um, at nine weeks we went in and we heard his heartbeat and that was so exciting. Um, because I was really worried about miscarriage because the, the rates of miscarriage are so high. I, I was aware of that and I didn't want to be too hopeful about this pregnancy. Um, especially since, like I said, I had a history of hormone issues and health issues. So I was really cautious on how I um, thought about and connected with this pregnancy. Um, yeah. So then at 21 weeks, we had our first ultrasound and that is when we found out it was a boy and we saw him on the screen. We saw his heart beating and him moving around and it was so exciting and then the nurse told us something is really wrong with your baby. And for me and my husband sitting there, everything seemed normal. Like we saw him moving and his heart was beating. So we couldn't understand what 
what could possibly be wrong. And uh, basically she explained to us that above, um, above his eyes, so where your eyebrows are, he didn't have any skull above there and he was missing portions of his brain tissue. So it's a condition known as anencephaly. Um, it's not super common and it's even less common for it to happen to a boy. Um, and, and so that was like such a shock, like something so random and totally unexpected. And basically how they explained it was my body was his life support. So as soon as he was born um, or even during the labor process, he would pass. And basically it was up to my husband and I to decide if we wanted to keep going with the pregnancy, if we wanted to terminate the pregnancy, um, what we wanted to do. But because he was missing portions of his brain tissue, he would never be able to spontaneously start labor. So no matter what, we would have to decide when we would want to be induced. So yeah, that was quite a shock. Um, I anencephaly, I think I heard about once, like in a biology class or something, it was like a sentence. So definitely nothing I was familiar with. Um, very surprising. And so, yeah, we decided that we would um, induce at 32 weeks because we were told that would give us the highest chance of him being born alive and not passing during labor. Um, for some and encephaly babies, they'll live up to 24 hours after they're born. Some pass even before that. So it's really hard to say, but based off the um, stories of other people that we had talked to, 32 weeks seemed like a good time if we wanted him to be born alive. So um, on December 17th, we went into the hospital and they had a special room for us. So we were separate from the labor and delivery unit, which I was so grateful for. Um, and yeah, we started the induction process. It took, I think like 50 hours of being induced and being in labor, which Leo, Leo's what his name is. Um, he was our first. So yeah, to have that be my first giving birth experience was a little bit intense. Um, but he was born alive. Um, he didn't cry or move or anything like that, but he did have a heartbeat and he held onto our finger um, while he was alive. And then he lived for about 30 minutes and then he passed away. And so, yeah, that's kind of his story. Um, we named him Leo because he always was moving around like during the entire pregnancy, he never stopped moving and he was just kind of wild. And so, yeah, that is kind of his story and our story. Well, I'm so sorry you had to go through that experience. And I mean, it's hard, you know, no matter, no matter when the loss happens, it's always hard. And uh, 32 weeks is also when we lost Jasmine. So it's, you know, you're, you're so far along. You're not like quite there, but you're, you know, you're far along and you felt them move the whole time. And I love how you came up with his name though. Yeah, it's fun. Do you feel like you got support after your loss? I definitely have had 
some support after I had a lot and I needed a lot just during the three months between the diagnosis and actually giving birth. Those were, I I feel like those were even harder than actually losing him because I was just anticipating losing him. And so I'd wake up and feel him moving and just think, ah, this only so many more days left um, of this. And so that was really hard. I thankfully was connected with um, the prenatal hospice um, that they have, that they offer here. So basically they walk uh, pregnant mothers through the whole process of what they would call a life limiting diagnosis like this. And so they really helped us come up with a birth plan, come up with memory making things that we wanted to do, um, making sure that we got photos and got his handprints and footprints and things like that. So that was a great help. And then of course my husband, um, we hadn't even been married for a year yet and we were going through this. So it really brought us together and helped us to um, support each other through that time. And then my family lives really close by. So of course they were there and some of my friends and stuff like that. So, yeah. That's good that you had, you know, a lot of support around you, even when you have support, you know, it's such a lonely time. Sometimes you can be surrounded by everybody and you still feel, you know, like so alone sometimes. So it's nice to at least know those people are there when you're ready for them to be there. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like your husband got support too? I know men sometimes get kind of left out. I I agree that sometimes can be a a challenging thing, but yes, I think he definitely did. Um, He's from Germany. So all his family, all his relatives are in Germany, but they were um, able to talk to him a lot. And then his sister was able to come after the birth. So during those couple of weeks, yeah. And that was really great. Do you talk about your loss very often or share your story very often? Um, I try to, I think sometimes it's just so much to share with someone I just keep it to myself. If I really feel like the person I'm talking to um, would be able to listen and have that compassion and I feel safe talking to that person, then I'll share his story. Um, If I'm just at the grocery store and someone says something like, oh, do you have any kids or something like that? I that gets a little bit tricky. I feel guilty sometimes when I don't talk about them. But other times I just know I don't have the capacity to share right there and then with that person. So I try and I want to share his story, but I also want to be um, aware of who I share his story with. Yeah. I don't need to share it with yeah. everybody. Right. No, I, I completely agree. You know it- like you said, like at the grocery store, you know, somewhere I'm like, do I really want to go into this all right now? Like, I don't, I don't really, it's more upsetting to me to have to like continually go over it, you know? So yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. (laughs) So do you think there's any um, particular aspect of loss that should be talked about more? I think something, especially as we get close to Mother's Day, which I think is in a couple of weeks, um, just acknowledging that whether someone's going through infertility or miscarriage or pregnancy loss or infant loss, like we're all still mothers. And I, 
I think that's something I really struggled with at first was the idea of, am I a mom, even though I don't have any living children? Um, and I've really had to think about and process that. And I feel like there's not a lot of resources available that kind of confirm that. That's something that each individual kind of has to confirm for themselves. Um, but definitely something I want to share with other moms and other women who have gone through losses. Yes, we are mothers and I, I don't ever want to doubt that. And I don't ever want any other woman to doubt that because, um, going through these things is the most challenging form of motherhood, but definitely it's still motherhood. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of hard to feel like a mom when your baby's not here, but you definitely, you are always going to be their mom. And, you know, it's, I think people, you know, some want to be acknowledged on mother's day. Some don't want to be acknowledged, you know, so it's kind of a, a tough thing, but, um, I didn't know until after I had had my loss about bereaved mother's day, which I appreciate that there's a separate day for that. So you can kind of like pick which one you want to celebrate or celebrate both, you know, I've never heard of that. What day is it? Oh, it's actually the the weekend before Mother's Day. Oh, okay, that's great to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um it's specifically for bereaved mothers. So, um, you know, if you don't feel like celebrating actual Mother's Day, which I think we all have a right to because we're all mothers, but there's a separate day. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So, uh, do you have any advice for anybody that's newly going through a loss? I think definitely care for yourself. Self-care is really important and it's really hard, um, especially when there's a lot of guilt or um, just negative feelings towards yourself during that period. I think it's really important to still prioritize your self-care and that can look different for everybody. Like after the birth, I was really intentional of taking my six weeks of maternity leave, even though I didn't need to necessarily, I recovered really fast. I still made sure I took those six weeks. And during those six weeks, I was really intentional about just resting and relaxing and postpartum after a loss is really different because you don't, it's, the recovery for me and for a lot of other moms I've talked to is really quick because, um, you don't, you're, you're getting the sleep that you need and you don't necessarily have to wake up every couple hours to feed a baby or anything like that. So the recovery is a little bit different and the postpartum period is a little bit different, but just acknowledging what your body has gone through and taking the time to, yeah, take a bath or go for a walk or just be okay with just resting I'm one of those people I like to be really productive and that can be really uh, a wonderful thing and also a terrible thing. So I, I really had to force myself to just sit still and process and give my body the attention that it needed after being pregnant for that long. Um, and that really helped for when the six weeks was over and I had to go back to work and go back to the, you know, normal world, normal routine. I, really appreciated that I was intentional to take care of myself. I didn't have a baby to take care of. And so I use that as an opportunity to care for myself. I 
my body nurtured Leo his entire life and my body deserves nurturing as well. I think that's super important, but super hard for so many of us, especially when we have a loss, you know, we're kind of angry at our bodies or, you know, just like all the feelings and, you know, self-care is definitely not always a priority though. It needs to be. Yeah, And I'm definitely like you, like I, you know, I, I like to be productive. I like to, I don't want to just like sit around and it's not doing nothing, but it feels to me like doing nothing. So I really struggle with that. Yeah, for sure. So is there anything else that you'd like to add or share? Yeah, I think, like I said, prioritizing self-care is really important and not blaming yourself for what happened. Um, we we ended up doing genetic testing because um, we were just wanting to see how this happened um, because anencephaly is so uncommon. And so um, the genetic results came back totally normal. Leo had healthy genes, everything. It wasn't anything that my husband or I gave to him, um, which was nice to know that it wasn't our fault in that sense, but it also left so much space to, oh, what happened? How'd this happen? what I do wrong? And then if you Google it, it's like, oh, heat exposure can sometimes cause anencephaly or, you know, this or that. And so then my brain will process, oh, what, which of those things did I do when I was pregnant? And I think, especially when it comes to things that are, you know, what the medical society calls flukes, um, you can't blame yourself. And it's really easy to feel guilty. It's really easy to um, take all the responsibility for that loss. But um, I think it's really important to try our best not to put all that responsibility and pressure on ourselves because that is such a big burden and and it's it's not our fault for what happens it's out of our control in these cases and even if someone thinks that oh well there really was a time when something happened um it's there's people that have healthy babies that do all sorts of stuff and are not careful at all which is really really difficult um but it also kind of reminds me that, yeah, it's, it's nothing I did that caused this because these people did things and they've got healthy babies. It's just, it's out of my control. It's just the way it is sometimes in life. And unfortunately I was the one who had to go through this. And so many of your listeners are the ones who had to go through this, but um, it's not their fault. And I think that's something we have to just remind ourselves daily and for a very long time, probably for the rest of our lives that yes, this is not our fault. And we just can look at the time that we were able to be pregnant or the time we were able to um, think about pregnancy and, and try to see it in a positive way and not um, always trying to figure out what went wrong. I think that's really good advice. I know I definitely sometimes still blame myself, think, oh, what if I had done this? Or what if I had done this? And, you know, they said, similar to yours, um, that, you know, it wasn't anything that me or my husband gave her, but I still feel like somehow it was my fault. You know, so I think that's really good advice to constantly remind yourself, you did nothing wrong, you know. 
yeah, definitely hard, but yes. So you made a, uh, you mentioned earlier that that is really rare to happen to boys. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So it's four times more likely to happen to a girl. Um, so, but I don't remember the exact percent chance of it, of it happening and then it happening to a boy, but it's very, very slim. It's very rare for that. Um, so yeah, it was kind of yeah. like, like how, <laughs> and yeah, all those things. And like, that, like you think, Oh, I, I feel like I was pretty careful during my pregnancy, but maybe I wasn't like, how, how could this happen? This is so rare, but, um, it did. And <laughs> I'm that, you know, 0.002% person that, that this happened to. I'm right there with you with a different diagnosis, but yeah, they told us like, you know, less than 1%, whatever it was. And, um, I'm like, yeah, but when you've been that like small one, then like even a 1% chance feels like, well, that's for sure going to happen to me now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did they tell you, um, like chance of it happening again, like statistics or anything like that when you met with them? Yeah. So basically they said that the chance of it happening again remains the same as the chance that it could have happened to begin with. So basically the same, you know, whatever it was, um, because it's not genetic. So that's kind of nice and relieves a little bit of the anxiety, but also I'm like, well, it did happen. And, um, right. you know, I've had doctors tell me, oh, you know, the chance of this happening the first time is like getting struck by lightning three times. I'm like, well, I haven't been struck by lightning yet, but this has happened. So, uh, I, I don't know. Um, so definitely have a little bit of anxiety when it comes to trying again. Um, but yeah, the doctors have said the chances of it happening are the same as for anyone else. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's not, where you're like, well, it's good and bad. <laughs> yeah. It's higher for some people, their chances of it happening again will be higher with the second child, but because it has no genetic um, relationship, then it's the same. Were you able to get any pictures with him? Yes. Yes. I have like 3000 pictures of him. <laughs> I took so many. Yeah. I, that was something really important to me was making sure, and they're all just on my phone. They're not like fancy pictures. Mm -hmm. I know that like, um, I think it's now laying me down to sleep or that organization, the, um, lost photos but these ones are just on our phone the nurses took for us um and we have a ton I put them in a little scrapbook and we also took videos which I'm really grateful for one of uh another lost mom told me make, make sure you take videos too and so we did that and that's just kind of nice to have as well so yeah lots of photos and the nurses also did like the um foot and hand castings so that we have like the molds of his feet and his hands and we have his footprints and all those things and we decided to have him cremated so we have him in a urn on a shelf with all his all his stuff and his clothes and we changed him a couple times because I'm a mom and I love outfits and I just wanted to feel like 
I at least had him wear a couple different outfits. <laughs> um, yeah, so we did that and we bathed him and we did things that um, were just just for us to have those memories, even though this is already after he passed. We just wanted to feel like we still had that time and we did those mm -hmm. things we had really wanted to do and we would have done um, regardless. And so I'm really grateful for that because it made the experience in the hospital much more um, beautiful and not so, I mean, of course it was sad, but leaving was sad. Being in the hospital was a beautiful time. Yeah. I'm really glad that you were able to do all those things. You know, sometimes I think it really depends on the hospital that you're in sometimes. And it sounds like you had a really, I mean, I, I don't want to say good experience, but you know, um, as good as it could be given right. the circumstances. And yeah. I think that's really great, especially that you didn't have to be, that you were in a separate area that you didn't have to be around all the other, yes. the other moms. Yeah, that was so great. I, I'm still so grateful for that because that would have been really hard, I think, just to hear babies crying and women in labor, like right next door. That just yeah. seems like cruel to have in the same yeah. place, you know? I mean, yeah. but there are women that have to go through that. And I, I'm just so grateful. Um, yeah, that my hospital didn't have that. And all the staff was um, told about the situation. So like, no one when now the nurses when they walked in the room were like shocked because because you know leo is missing like the top of his skull so he doesn't look like a normal baby but they were not um surprised or scared or anything and they acted like it was totally normal and so i really appreciate that too um i think the last thing that any of us moms want is for someone to look at our babies and then be like oh right. <laughs> you know so i'm really grateful that the nurses were um, really sweet and gentle with Leo and did not, you know, they didn't look in their faces, even surprised by how he looked. So I love that. Yeah. Cause you're definitely right. Like it's a hard experience anyways, and hard when our babies don't look normal, you yeah. know? So I, I, I love that they were kind. Mm -hmm. Do you think that he looked like either of you? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, my husband's from Germany. And so he's kind of got the big broad shoulders. And Leo definitely had that. He's kind of like triangle shaped his shoulder. <laughs> so he actually got stuck um, coming out because his shoulders were so wide, even though he was only 32 weeks. So I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, and he was much bigger than I expected. He was three pounds and 15 <laughs> inches long um and that's he doesn't he didn't have like quite a big mass on the top of his head so like that's if he were a you know normal baby he probably would have weighed even more at that point so he was pretty big at least to me like I said he was my first so I, I'm a little bit nervous of the idea of having another baby and having it be like seven pounds <laughs> felt really big but um yeah he definitely looked, remind me of my husband. He had dark hair like me. So he did have hair like around his head a little bit. It was curly. It was so cute. Oh, I love curly yeah. hair on the babies. Yeah, it was so sweet. Um, and he had my feet. I have really big wide feet. So he had big feet. 
So yeah, he definitely, I, I think that's something I'm so surprised by because I had like looked at so many pictures of anencephaly babies and like tried to prepare myself. Okay. He's kind of going to look weird. And then I was like, Oh, okay. He, he looks like my child. And I think that was uh, surprising and really beautiful thing. Like, Oh yeah, I made him like, of course. Yeah. I think it's kind of hard when, when something like that happens too, like, you know, they're going to look different, but you don't really know how they're going to look different. Even, even if you look at pictures or even if somebody tries to describe it to you, you still don't really know until you see them. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's how it was. I know with, um, with Jasmine, you know, they warned me she's going to look different because she had already passed, you know, but I was like, I don't understand what that means until she was born. So, but yeah, then yeah. you're like you said, it's definitely like, yeah, that's, that's my child. Like, you know, yeah. So it's still like a special moment to see the baby that you created. Yes, for sure. So um, is there anything else that you want to add on or? Um, I think, I think I said everything I had hoped to share, but um, yeah, definitely. We're not alone. There are so many women out there who are going through infertility or pregnancy loss or infant loss. Um, and there's so much taboo about it. Uh, it's really interesting how, like, after going through my own loss, people that I knew and had never talked about ever having any miscarriages or pregnancy loss started coming out and sharing their stories. And these are people I've known for a while. And just that realization that this is something so many women are going through and um, yeah, we're not alone. And I think it's difficult because yeah, not everyone is talking about it and um, it can be a really hard thing to talk about. And so it kind of makes us feel isolated, but this is actually not um, as uncommon as we think it is. And, Sadly, yeah, it's something a lot of women are experiencing. So none of us are alone. And I think that's really just helpful to be aware of. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and about your sweet boy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Zipporah, for sharing your story with us. The heartbreak of knowing you have a life-limiting diagnosis during your pregnancy is extremely hard news to even comprehend. There's a whole other layer of grief added on that we don't often talk about. Yes, there's a fear of having a miscarriage, a stillbirth, or another type of loss. But there's also a different kind of grief and a fear from receiving a diagnosis like this. A diagnosis where you know they can't survive outside your womb. When you want the days to just slow down so you can keep them safe, instead of dealing with the unknown, or in some cases, the known of what will happen when they are born. And also to receive a diagnosis where the odds are uncertain is just as scary. It may be something they can live with, but you don't know how it will affect them. Or something like we were diagnosed with, where we were given a 50-50 odds of her making it. Jasmine was diagnosed with CDH and like I said, we were just told there's a 50-50 chance she'll make it. And if she does, that she will probably have, 
you know, some issues, but we don't know exactly what these issues could be. As I said, it's just a whole other layer of grief and an experience that we need to be talking about more. I would say that a majority of us don't ever expect to receive this type of news. Many of the things our babies are diagnosed with, we've never even heard of until we receive the diagnosis. As always, this is why I think it's just so important to continue to talk about our experiences and educate others on what we go through so that those who go through this type of grief and this type of loss won't feel alone. So they won't feel like they are the only one who has had to go through it. And so those who haven't been through this type of grief and loss can even just to a small extent understand what it is that we go through. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember, we are all in this together.